Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of the men, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Hi everyone. So today we're on week 11 of our series of talks looking at the breadth of the work of the Holy Spirit through the pages of the Bible. And today we're looking at how the Holy Spirit brings unity in diversity. Now this is clearly a hugely important topic right now because it feels like our society is fracturing over every conceivable difference, be it age, ethnicity, gender, class, political affiliation, worldview, just to name a few. And the volume and the anger and the intensity of any and every conversation over these differences seems to be going up and up and up. What on earth does the Bible have to say about all this? Well, let me start with an illustration to try and set the scene. This is from a writer called Al Shi, who I first came across about 20 years ago. The first book of his I read was called The Single Issue. It's on singleness, absolutely outstanding, and I commend it to you. Anyway, he tells a story about going on a leadership retreat many, many years ago with a bunch of other leaders. And on this retreat, one of the first tasks they gave people was to row a canoe across a large lake. Well, his team was giving a really brand spanking new canoe with two paddles, but the team next to him only had one paddle. The team next to them weren't given any paddles at all, and the final team didn't even get a canoe. They just had an old leaky rowboat. Well, the task started, and understandably, his canoe quickly zipped across the water. But he said as he looked back, all the other teams were really floundering. Uh, One team had found an old branch from a tree they were trying to vainly use as a paddle. Another team weren't moving at all. They were just trying to plug the leaks in the boat to stop themselves from sinking. And of course, his team got to the other side first really quickly. After the race, all the teams got together, they had a bit of a debrief and a laugh about the different challenges they faced. And then the organiser of the retreat asked this question. They said to Al's team, why didn't you go back? Why did you presume the point of the task was to win? Al Shi says that experience has been hugely formational for him as he's thought about how to build community how to build church, how to see God's kingdom come on earth as in heaven. You see, for me, for many of us, we mistakenly think the goal of life is to win. 
metaphorically speaking, to get to the other side of the lake first of all, that I need to get what I want out of life. My way of seeing things is the right way. In the book of James in the New Testament, chapter 4 and verse 1, James writes that the source of the divisions between us ultimately come from sinful desires in the human heart. What if winning, so to speak, is not the goal of life at all? What if there is a better way for us to build community together? And if so, how on earth do we do that? Well, you'll be glad to know the Bible has a whole lot to say on this subject. And we're going to draw primarily from the book of Acts today, though draw from many other scriptures as well. But we're going to start by looking at the church in a city called Antioch. A bit of background to the city in Acts chapter 11. Thanks to Liam Thatcher for this info. I get all my best stuff uh, from him. Uh, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire and was situated in a hugely strategic place in terms of trade, meaning people came there from all over the known world. In fact, when Luke writes Acts chapter 11, it's thought there were at least 18 different people groups and ethnicities living in the city. Added to that, there were also different class systems at work and vast inequalities in terms of wealth. And new people were arriving into this cosmopolitan mix all the time. As well as being hugely diverse, the city was also very densely packed. In Antioch, it's thought there were around about 75,000 people per square mile. London, by way of comparison, has just 12,000 per square mile. Now, we all know when we live in close proximity to others, tension is the result. I mean, have you ever lived with someone and got tense with them? Don't look at the person you are sitting next to right now. I guarantee once COVID is behind us, Some of us may miss some of the aspects of social distancing. So, of course, Antioch becomes something like a tinderbox for division and disagreement. Historian Rodney Stark writes these words, Antioch was a city filled with hatred and fear, rooted in intense ethnic antagonism and exacerbated by a constant stream of strangers, a city so lacking in stable networks of attachment that petty incidents could prompt mob violence. Antioch, in other words, is not a happy place. And so one of the ways they try to deal with this is literally by building walls in the city to segregate these 18 different tribes from each other. In fact, Antioch becomes one of the most segregated cities in all of the known world. And into this hotbed of division and disagreement comes the church. In fact, if you visit Turkey today, you can see the place where it's thought Peter taught some of the early Christians on his visit to Antioch. And this church became hugely strategic in the growth of the Christian faith. It ended up impacting a whole region. Now, it's important for us to understand the main way that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, communicates theology is through story, through narrative. Lots of the Bible is like that. So the story of this church in Antioch can be a model for us as we learn how to build church here in London in hugely divided times. What do we learn? Well, what's interesting is above everything else, the standout feature of this church that changed the world was its inclusivity. It wasn't just diversity. Let me explain what I mean by that. If I travel into London and sit on any tube carriage, it's going to be really diverse. But of course, that falls short of what God is calling the church to be and to do. The power of this church in Antioch was its unity in diversity. The power of these different people from different backgrounds coming together as one. What marked this church out was how it broke down dividing walls, overcame differences and built community together. The leadership of this church in Antioch 
reflected the diversity of the city. You can see a slide coming up testifying to some of that. Before this moment in history, religion was basically a tribal affair. The church changes everything. In fact, when Paul writes to a group of churches in Galatia, a big region of which Antioch was a part, he talks about Antioch and the power of this unity. He says these words. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a historian in the States called Thomas Cahill who says this, this right here is the first expression of egalitarian thought in all of human history. This right here is going to change the world. And when people first saw this, they didn't have a box to put it in. They'd never seen anything like this before. And so we're told this in Acts 11, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They looked at this inclusivity and thought, never seen this before. They must be Christians. It reminds me of Jesus's words in John chapter 13. By this, will all men know that you are my disciples? Why, if you love one another. To go back to that illustration about the canoe. This church is not living to win a race. They are living by altogether different standards. This is the work of the Holy Spirit of God amongst us. So I want to spend the second half of this talk looking at how do we build a church more like the one in Antioch? How do we build a church that is so inclusive, so diverse, that we better mirror the unity God intends for us? Well, I want to acknowledge that in a talk like this, I can't cover everything in the depth that I would like to. And I would encourage you to join us online for an evening tomorrow where we'll talk more about race and racial reconciliation in particular. I'm going to be hosting that and I'm going to focus on that in this talk as well, because it's the ethnic diversity that really marks this church in Antioch out. But actually the principles we can apply to unity across any and every difference. And in moving towards application, I particularly want to draw from a book called How to Fight Racism by a guy called Jamar Tisby. He's an historian, an author and a speaker. I really engage and connect with him and his work. And he outlines three key themes, which he calls the arc of racial justice, awareness, relationships and commitment. And I want to take each of these very helpful principles in turn and see how they play out in a city like Antioch. The first principle is this, awareness. In other words, we cannot break down barriers if we don't know they exist in the first place. Uh, last year, there was a huge outpouring of emotion and outrage and action and protest in the wake of the death of George Floyd. And one of the quotes which stayed with me the most, which I'm sure you have heard, was from the actor and musician Will Smith, where he said this, racism isn't getting worse, it's just getting filmed. In other words, like all evil, let's be clear, racism is evil. Like all sin, it, it likes to remain hidden in the shadows, away from public gaze. But something about the events of last year brought this issue into public consciousness in a new way. And so for people like me who are less aware, I have to take advantage of this moment and I have to read and learn and talk to people. I have to become aware, do some work myself. The dividing walls in Antioch were really easy to see. The ones in our culture may be harder to spot but they are there and so we have to learn about them. I want to say a couple of things on this. Uh, firstly, I am aware, I recognise there is a lot of awkwardness and discomfort talking about this subject. Uh, I can certainly relate to that and I think some of the awkwardness is actually well-intentioned. 
Uh, people are just scared or nervous about saying the wrong thing and offending people. And uh, given the temperature of the public conversation on this as well, I, I find it understandable too. But as the church, we have to learn how to navigate and overcome this discomfort. Uh, I've not read all the Harry Potter books myself, but I do know this about the story. In the world of Harry Potter, no one names the evil one Voldemort. He's described as he who must not be named. You know, all sin is like that. We'd rather keep it hidden, sweep it under the carpet, hush-hush, awkward. We do this with topics like sex as well, that which we must not speak about. The only two people who name Voldemort are Harry and Dumbledore, and they are the ones who defeat him. Therein lies a lesson. If we want to overcome the evil of racism and of divisions on ethnic or any other lines, if we want to pull down dividing walls, we have to make sure what is hidden in darkness is brought out into the light. And one way we can do that is actually talk about it. Uh, second thing I want to say on becoming aware is, as well as awkwardness, I'm aware of defensiveness around this issue as well, especially amongst white people like myself. Uh, I have read more on this topic than any other over the last year. And uh, we'll also share some resources that we recommend on the back of tomorrow evening if you want to delve further. And uh, I want to be honest with you, and I hope my honesty is helpful. Sometimes I've been reading something or watching something, and I felt that defensiveness within my own spirit. Along the lines of, I, I think you're saying something about me that I don't believe to be the case. And it kind of bubbles away in the pit of my stomach. Well, if you can relate to that, if you felt that yourself, here's one question I'm trying to train myself in asking myself when I feel this way. And this is a good principle on any topic like this, to be honest. And the question is this, when I feel defensive, am I hearing a prophetic voice right now? Let me explain what I mean by that. You know, when I read the prophets in the Bible, to be honest, sometimes I think I'm, I'm not sure we would be friends. I mean, their whole tone seems to be angry and accusatory. Uh, Amos, great example of this. Chapter four and verse one, he says this, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who oppress the poor and crush the needy. How would we feel if I addressed the church like that next Sunday? I'm going to guess I'd have a few emails in my inbox on Monday morning. Well, how about this? Isaiah chapter one, the prophet said to the people this, God says, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. You know, I read that and think, I'm, I'm not going to ask them for feedback on the sermon or the service. Now, this is the kind of person, if you get an email from them in your inbox or they come to you on a Sunday, you're like, oh no, here's what's going on. The prophets were given a burden by God of looking at our world the way God sees it and seeing what's not right and then feeling what God feels as a result, and it kind of crushed them. To go back to that canoe illustration, relatively speaking, I'm in the team with a nice canoe and two paddles. I don't deserve it. I did nothing to earn it. But in the same world, there are people sinking beneath the waterline. I might not always see it. I might think, oh, that's too intense. I, I want to forget about that for a moment, but God sees it. And he feels the same kind of emotion that any parent might feel if they saw their own child sinking beneath the water. You know, when you say that, you think, no, 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 we have to do something about this. You with the nice canoe and two paddles, you gotta come back and help them. We have to save them. That's the prophets. You know, one of the things that challenged me a lot as I've reread the prophets recently is the amount of times God says to the people through the prophets, you know what is right. 
You know what the right thing to do is. You know where the right place is to spend your money and use your time and give your energies. You know. I know what the right thing to do is, and so often I ignore it. It's like, oh, it's too intense, or I bury my head in the sand, or maybe even I do the opposite. May God forgive me. And so when I read things that challenge my inner spirit, and I'm in danger of getting defensive, I'm trying to ask myself the question, God, is this Amos talking to me? Is this Isaiah? Or are you talking to our church right now? Know that self-evident point I want to raise when it comes to becoming aware is we need to talk to God about this and ask God to reveal the actions that we need to take. Now I find it interesting that the story of the church in Antioch in Acts 11 it comes right on the back of Peter praying and getting a vision from God about God reaching out to people who are different from him. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is now breaking cultural and ethnic barriers. Why? God has spoken. Well, maybe as we seek to build a more inclusive community, we need to talk to God. We need to pray. Loads more to say on this, but principle number one in building a church like Antioch is we need to become more aware. Principle number two is relationships. Friendship is key to all of this. A really, really silly story to illustrate this. Uh, Last month, we had a new guy join our service in Sutton. Really, really lovely guy. And one of our connect group leaders said to him, hey, do you want to join our WhatsApp group? Uh, We've got a WhatsApp group where we share prayer needs, info on stuff happening in the local community or stuff coming up in church life. And he was like, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up to the WhatsApp group. Unfortunately, uh, this connect group leader signed this new guy to church up to the wrong WhatsApp group. And rather than to the certain WhatsApp group, he signed him up uh, to a WhatsApp group for mums in the local community whose children were struggling with bedwetting. So I want you to imagine the moment this guy joins the WhatsApp group, first text comes in, oh, what's the church on about today? Johnny went to bed last night. Oh, oh wow, they, they really celebrate vulnerability in this community. Second text comes in, oh, Claire went to bed last night too. Wow, there's, there's real brokenness here. They, they really seem to celebrate that. Text num- number three comes in, Danny's went to bed six nights in a row. I think I'm in the wrong group. Now, now hold that thought for a moment, because that emotion right there is what we have to go through to build church. This is a great illustration, by the way. Uh, what, one bit of insight we've shared in a number of talks from the front, I just find really helpful, is an insight into the 12 disciples Jesus called to be with him, one of whom was Matthew the tax collector, one of whom was Simon the zealot. Tax collectors were seen as selling out to the Romans. The Romans had occupied Israel. They were seen as profiting at Israel's expense, as kind of greedy on Rome's side. The zealots hated Rome and anyone who sided with them. Simon and Matthew would have hated each other. I imagine when Jesus sent the disciples out in twos, he said, Simon, Matthew, off you go together. Uh, 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 Jesus, uh, I think I'm in the wrong group. That's the church. And I would go as far to say that if if we never experience emotions like that, at least from time to time, if community always feels easy, then maybe we'll never build a church like the one in Antioch. If we only hang out with people like us, we will never become an Antioch church. And so it really is as simple as building friendships with people who are different from us, taking time to listen to people's stories, to show interest, to ask meaningful questions, taking time to get to know each other. And as we do this, it goes without saying, we'll need a whole load of grace and patience for each other as well. 
Uh, interesting story from Antioch. Uh, Peter has this vision from God about the gospel breaking cultural and ethnic barriers, and he leads the church in this direction. But then after a while, he kind of draws back and gets exclusive again. As well as loads of dividing walls in the city, there were different dining areas as well. You know that moment when you're a kid in school and you've got your lunch on your train? Oh, there's the sporty crowd and there's the cool crowd. Where do I sit? That was Antioch. Exclusive cultural groups. And Peter started eating in that way. And we're told in the book of Galatians, in Antioch, Paul had to confront Peter and Barnabas and say, no, 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 you're wrong on this. And they have the humility to realise it. The church have the grace to forgive and unity is restored. There's a lesson for us there. As we build a church like Antioch, I'm going to get things wrong. And you, my friend, are going to get things wrong. And new people who join us are going to get things wrong. We've got to have grace and humility and forgiveness for each other. And this is an area where I think we can stand in stark contrast to the wider society around us. You know, when I look at what happens in the world, when people disagree, it just seems to lead to fights and name calling and people increasingly hunkering down in echo chambers. The core of the church is to be different. Now, some of you will know there's a city in Northern Ireland that's historically been really divided. So much so people uh, tended to call it different names, Londonderry or Derry. And uh, Protestants tended to live on the East Bank, Catholics on the West Bank. Many didn't like to mix with each other. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, one of the solutions was they built a bridge, a beautiful piece of architecture, about 900 foot long, and they called it the Peace Bridge. We are to be living, breathing, walking, talking versions of that. Got to build friendship. We have to be aware of the dividing walls. Then we have to build friendship. And then the third principle is this, we have to be committed. We have to be committed. Now, I guess what you're expecting me to say here is we have to be committed to unity. If we were to build a church like the one in Antioch, there's, there's no quick fix. A change for the better usually takes place over the long term. And of course, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And this is an area as a church where we are committed uh, over the long term. But that is not where I want to call us to be committed. And Acts chapter 11 is the reason why. Because we read this in verse 23. When Barnabas arrives in Antioch, and sees what the grace of God has done. Oh, he's so glad. Wow, Christians, you love each other. Everyone will know you're Jesus' disciples. And then he says this, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. How do we build a church like Antioch that breaks down divides, that models unity, that stands in stark contrast to the divisions in our world? We have to remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. Some of you will have heard of a novel by Fyodor Dostoevsky called The Brothers Karamazov. Uh, maybe the most famous scene in the book is where one of the characters tells a story in which Jesus appears in 16th century Spain. Well, Jesus is immediately arrested and taken to prison and the Grand Inquisitor comes to Jesus and basically unleashes a venomous condemnation of him. He accuses Jesus of being to blame for all the suffering in the world, all the division, all the pain, all the hatred. It's all your fault, he says to Jesus, and you've done nothing to fix the problem. He spits, you have forced evil on humankind. Well, after this monologue of hate, we read these words. The Inquisitor looked to Jesus and saw he had listened intently all the time, looking gently in his face and evidently not wishing to reply. The old man longed for him to say something, however bitter and terrible, 
But Jesus suddenly approached the old man in silence and softly kissed him. That was all his answer. There is a line in a hymn we sometimes sing at church where it says of Jesus, he kissed a guilty world in love. That's how Jesus loves us. You know, my, my life is so broken. Sin has so polluted every part of my being. My need is so great that the power to build a church like Antioch does not lie in a vision for the future and all the different things that I can do to work towards that. It lies more than anything else in knowing Jesus and receiving his kiss for our guilt. He gave everything for us. And while the world rages at divisions and disunity and political fallout and racial divides and age and gender and disability and sexuality discrimination, I want to urge us with everything that I've got, we must remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. I know of no other answer. We began this talk looking at James chapter 4 and verse 1. What causes the divisions amongst us? It's sin in the human heart. Jesus came to deal with that. He didn't come to win a canoe race. He didn't come to win an argument. He came to kiss us in our guilt and in our rage. He laid everything down. He had all the power, all the authority, and he just willingly laid it down. And he calls us to do the same. You know, the three resources we have at our disposal, my time, my energy, and my money, the world says, see them as your own. Jesus says, no, remain true to me. Find life through laying yourself down. What might that look like? If we want to build a church like Antioch, oh, we need to be aware. Oh, we've got to build friendships. We've got to be those living bridges. But more than anything else, we have to remain true to the Lord with everything we've got. I want to finish just by praying for us, that we would build a church like the one in Antioch. Before I do, I just want to read a very well-known psalm, 133, which uses powerful picture language to describe the, the wonder and beauty of unity. Maybe as I read these words, you might want to close your eyes and picture the community you're a part of, not just your service, but the wider community. This is what Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, on the collar of his road. He's the priest who connects God to people. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Just as you imagine your community, as you picture your service, why don't you imagine the blessing of God coming upon it now like do you? Let us pray together for that. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I want to ask in this moment, we would know the blessing of God upon us like do you, bringing life and refreshment and health and peace like the dew of the morning, like there's no rainfall, but oh, it's just there, the life is there. Let me know that life now. And I want to pray that we would build a church like this church in Antioch, the like of which people have never seen before. 
May we build a church that's so unified that the beauty speaks powerfully of the love of God for the world. For each of our services and for our wider communities. May dividing walls be broken down in Jesus' name. May healing come to those who need it. May friendship and love for one another be a marker for us as a church. And as we ask for this, Lord, with all of our hearts, we want to say our decision, our choice, our desire is to remain true to the Lord with everything we've got. Father, thank you that ultimately this does not rest on our own strength. It just rests on us staying connected to you. So help us to do that, I pray. Come Holy Spirit. Unite us together. And as you look at us in our unity, Psalm 133 speaks so powerfully. May you look on us and say, I'm going to command blessing there. May the blessing of God rest upon each of us, I pray. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.